service. We had a beautiful 9.30 service at Riverside. I'm excited and full of faith for this service. We are in week three of a series called Church Essentials, and we've um, been camping in John chapter 17, which is kind of quite an important prayer that Jesus prays for his church. It's, it's, it's some of the last recorded words we have of Jesus before he goes to the cross and dies. And so we... I'm not standing here saying that, that some parts of Scripture are more important than others, but if there was, <laughs> this is, could be it, all right? Um, we, we know that according to Scripture, Jesus currently sits at the right hand of God in heaven, uh, praying for us until the day that he returns, right? I don't know what he's praying, but I know that he's praying for us. We also have Scripture time and time again says Jesus withdrew to a quiet place. He withdrew to a place of solitude, and he prayed. Jesus withdrew, and he prayed, and I know, don't know what he was praying, but I do know that he was praying. And so it makes this passage of Scripture, John 17, quite unique. Um, there's only a couple of instances where we actually have insight into what it was that Jesus prayed. What makes this one extra unique is that what he was praying was for us. So he prays for his disciples, and then he prays for those that will come after them because of the testimony that they give, which is us. So we have an insight into what Jesus is praying directly for us. You have an insight into Jesus' exact words praying for you before he dies. It's quite a unique piece of Scripture, quite a unique passage of Scripture. A man called Michael Cassidy writes a book called The Church Jesus Prayed For, which is excellent on this subject. And so the first week we looked at unity. Last week Rich spoke on mission, and today I'm speaking on truth. And next week we're going to look at holiness. There are 10 things that Jesus prayed that his church would be marked by, and, and we can't elevate any one of these 10 things above the other. Not, not one is more important than the other. But the, the unique thing about the first four things that we're dealing with, unity, mission, holiness, and truth, is that they have to coexist together. They depend on one another in order for them to exist completely. What that means is I cannot have unity without truth, holiness, and mission. I cannot have mission without unity, truth, and holiness. I, I, if I lose one, I don't just lose one, I lose all three. So my unity is affected by my holiness. My mission is affected by my truth. Everything that the church is marked by, in particular these four categories, are dependent on the other, on the, on the other three. So it makes these four things not more important than the other ones, but because they, are co because they coexist with each other, they're dependent on one another, it makes them quite important. I'm not saying that we, that we are preaching the best, the cleverest series here. I'm, I'm saying that Jesus seemed to think that these qualities that he wanted us to be marked by were important enough for them to be some of his last recorded words before he dies. I'm not saying that they're important because we're preaching them. I'm saying they're important because Jesus seemed to think so. So as soon as you say you're speaking on truth, most people like to assume that you're speaking to other people, not to them. Good. The other people that need to hear the truth... It's not for me, though. I've got the truth. All of us assume that we are the, the keeper of truth. All of us assume that what I believe and what I think and what I know is the truth, and the other guys are ignorant. The other people are ignorant. The problem with that line of thinking is that we stop becoming truth seekers. Friends, I want to say this to you this morning as lovingly as I can. You don't have the whole truth. You do not have the whole truth. Neither do I. We are a generation of people that have been discipled by TV. Because we've been discipled by TV, we think of, we think that the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth is a concept that not only we can know, but that one person can sit down and tell to another. The truth, the whole truth, 
and nothing but the truth. Friends, that is a poorly worded legal position. It is not a social or a theological or even a metaphysical or scientific position. It's a poorly worded legal position. No doctor, no scientist is able to tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth. No pastor, no theologian is able to tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth. This concept of whole truth is misleading. Paul writes a letter to the church that meets in the city of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and he says, we, we know that now we know in part and we see in part. He says, we see dimly as in a mirror. And the, the mirror that Paul would have had in first century Corinth uh, isn't a mirror like polished uh, what's uh, silver and, and glass that we have today. It essentially is a, like a super buffed up shield, right? So when you look in that thing, not very good light, the reflection that you see, you look really good because you can't see very clearly. Have you been there, friends? I haven't. <laughs> you look good because you can't see clearly. He says, what, what we know, everything that we know now, everything that we prophesy, he says, is in part. It's dimly. He says, when, when the perfection comes, when this age is wrapped up and the new earth, heavens and the new earth are come at the end of this earth, then we will know fully, even as we are fully known. He says, then what is complete will swallow up that which is incomplete and in, in part. So all the best the cleverest, the brightest, is in part, is dimly, as in a reflection in the mirror. That's what we have currently. That is what we understand and know of truth. And the, see, whole means 100%. Whole is 100. It's either whole or it's not whole. It's not up for debate. It's either whole or it's not whole. Anything less than 100 is not whole. It's a part. It's incomplete. It might be a big part, it might be a big percentage, but it's not whole. What I want to help you to understand today, and what I'm asking of you, is that you would hold very, very, very few things very tightly and hold a whole lot of other things very loosely. See, mathematically, I cannot say with 100% certainty that the sun will rise tomorrow. That is not a whole truth. I cannot say with 100% mathematical certainty that the sun will rise tomorrow. You can fact check me if you want. The mathematical chances of the sun rising tomorrow is 99.9% recurring percent. That's the chance. It's a pretty good chance that the sun will rise tomorrow. But it is not 100%. It's very, very close to 100%, but it is not 100%. In other words, it is not a whole truth that the sun will rise tomorrow. Sorry, I, my, my goal here is not to get you to go to bed tonight worrying about the sun. But I'm asking you to hold a lot of the things that you believe to be whole truths much looser and to hold fewer things a lot tighter. To be friends, we, we call to be seekers of truth. And so today, don't sit there thinking to yourself, good, he's going to tell everybody else that don't know the truth, the truth. No, friends, I'm talking to all of us here today. Here's why this is important. Truth really, really, really matters. Truth matters for your salvation. Truth and error matter for your salvation, and they matter for the salvation of the world to whom we are sent. Truth matters. What is true and what is not true matters. And they don't just matter today. They matter for eternity. So here's the core scripture that we, that we are camping in. John 17, 17. Jesus says, Sanctify them, us, Sanctify them by the truth, your word, 
is truth, Jesus says. When Jesus prays for us, he prays that we will be kept from error and that we will be kept in truth. A man called C.S. Lewis, who you're going to hear from a few times this morning, he's a, a, excuse me. every time I do that, Kirsten gets happy because she gets to impersonate me coughing on stage. You had to be at our volunteers' dinner. If you weren't, I apologize. There's not much I can do about it. A <laughs> um, man called C.S. Lewis was an author and a theologian. He, he, thought a lot, he thought a lot about God, and he thought a lot about life, and then he wrote about a, lo- a lot of his experiences and thoughts. And um, he, he was a good, author, a, good, a good author. You might have heard of or read some of his books. He writes a, a book called The Screwtape Letters. And essentially what the book is, um, it's, it's a demon by the name of Screwtape who writes a letter to another demon called Wormwood who is responsible for a human. And so this demon is instructing the other demon how he should uh, help his human to never, become, to never come to Christ. That's, that's the perspective that this book is written from. And so he, the, the instruction that he writes, he's, he's instructed in this letter to keep the, his patience, the human, content with having a dozen incompatible philosophies dancing together in his head without letting him ask, let alone discover which were true and which were false. He's instructed to keep him tolerant of everything, and whatever happens, keep him strictly away from any notion of truth or falsehood. You see, friends, truth and error matter. They matter for your salvation, and they matter for the salvation of the world to whom we are sent. If we are kept tolerant of everything, if we're kept never asking, never discerning what is truth and what is error, then we have no way of being kept in the truth. Jesus prays that we will be kept from error in the truth. So the world that we currently live in wants to keep us from telling the difference between truth and error. It wants to keep us tolerant and accepting of every idea and every theory without ever allowing us to ask them and to interrogate them, without ever naming some of them as errors. We're told that if it's true for that person, then we have to accept it also as true. But here's the problem with that. If you've got kids and you've watched The Incredibles, he has the problem with that. If everything is true, nothing is true. If everything is true, nothing is true. And so we end up with this notion that there's no truth at all. No, there is truth. It's just not everything. When everything is true, nothing is. And when we elevate every idea, every theory, every philosophy and belief and and feeling to the realm of truth, what we're doing is we're not raising the standard of truth. We're lowering the standard of truth to the lowest common denominator of every belief, feeling, understanding, and every level of knowledge. We lower the value and the standard of truth to that. What we should be doing is is raising, is pointing every common, the lowest common things, pointing them to the hearts of truth not lowering truth to the lowest common denominator, the standard of lowness. If you're feeling a little bit offended at this point, I'm okay with that, because I'm not standing here before you today claiming to have the truth. I'm standing before you today to say, telling you that truth matters for your salvation, and although I'm not claiming to have the truth, I'm coming to point you towards a man who didn't only claim to have the truth, he claimed to be the truth. And so you're not offended with me. You're actually offended with Jesus, and I'm okay with that. And to be honest, Jesus is okay with that too. Jesus is okay with you being offended with him. He's big enough. He's secure enough for you to be offended with him, which means I'm okay with it too. Actually, offense is one of the only times that many people change. We look in a mirror. You might not have experienced this. I certainly 
have not. You look in a mirror and you are offended with the person that you see, and so it motivates you to diet and exercise better. Often, offense is the thing that motivates us to change. Some of us, on the other side of that coin, live in a place of constant offense, and because we're constantly offended, we never actually put roots down and grow. So let's not fall into either one of those areas. But what I am saying is if you're offended today, I'm okay with that, and it's okay for you. This is a safe place for you. If everything is true, then nothing is true. And truth matters for your salvation and the salvation of the world to whom we are sent. So let's start with what truth is not. These are the exceptions that prove the norm. These are the things that when we elevate them to the realm of truth, we're not raising the standard of truth, we're lowering it to the lowest common denominator. And what we're supposed to do is to point the low common things to the hearts of truth, not lower truth to their standard. So truth is not, number one, your beliefs or assumptions. So let's say I get up this morning and I either believe or assume or I'm convinced that my car's tank is full of petrol, but it's not. If I'm to go on a long drive by myself, 50 kilometers from the middle of nowhere, what's going to happen? My car's going to run out of petrol. I can stand there and I can say as many times as I want, I believe that my car's tank is full of petrol. I believe I can gather a bunch of friends around me who tell me, yes, John, if you believe that your car's tank is full of petrol, it still doesn't matter how many people tell me that, how strongly I believe it, how much I believe it, how long I believe it for, I will still run out of petrol. 50 k's from the middle of nowhere, I've been there. It's not fun. If I phone a mechanic and I say, my car won't go, it's not the petrol because I believe it's full of petrol. Would you come and tell me what else is wrong with the car so that perhaps my car can go? He can come and he can tinker around all he wants. And if he's an unscrupulous mechanic, which I'm not saying they all are, but if he's, a, if he's an unscrupulous mechanic, he can tinker around and charge me a lot of money over a long period of time to fix my car, and it still won't go because it's not full of petrol. It's built on a false belief. I'm not sure if, you, if you're picking up what I'm throwing down. The truth is that my car is out of petrol, and, and the, the, the facts are the facts, whether I believe them or believe something different. The facts are still the facts. So there's this idea that people can believe whatever they want, and if they believe it strongly enough, and if they believe it for long enough, and if enough people believe it with them, then it's fine, then it can also be true. When we elevate every belief that we have to the realm of truth, when everything is true, nothing is true. The problem with this idea that every belief can be true, and that we can't tell error from truth, as Christians, friends, what is our motivation for mission? See, we are sent by Jesus into a world to convince people of the truth that they will go to hell for eternity when they die unless they repent and turn to Jesus. The belief that this is the truth is what has to motivate every Christian for mission, which is why truth, holiness, unity, and mission have to work together. If I don't hold that truth, I will never be on mission. When all beliefs and all ideas are true, we have no need to go and tell people to repent. In fact, if all ideas and beliefs are true, we have no right to tell people to repent. So Christians are accused of being arrogant to assume that Jesus and his message are the truth, or that Jesus and his message are the only way to get to the Father and the only way to, to live a life that leads to human flourishing and fullness here on earth. And we are accused of arrogant to say this is the only way. Friends, it's only arrogant if it's wrong. If it's right, it's not arrogant, it's kind. 
and it's loving. It is equally arrogant to say, no, no, you, you, you can't say it's only one way because that's arrogant. What you must say is it's always. That is, that is the best way. It's only the best way if it's right. If it's wrong, if it's, if it's true that there's only one way to get to God, then it's equally as arrogant to say always can get to God and equally as wrong. So when, when people accuse you of, as a Christian of being arrogant because you assume that yours is the only way, you can tell them it's only arrogant if it's wrong. If it's not wrong, which I believe it to be right, if it is right, then it's actually kind. It's actually loving. How you present it is very important. Don't present it, un- but it's, it's a kind practice. Just because I believe something really, really strongly doesn't make it the truth. If this idea of relativism, relativism is that all truth is relative and any belief and idea can be right, if this idea of relativism permeates into the church, the first thing that we will lose is our mission. Because I have no motivation for mission. So a person that is missionless, very often, if you scratch a bit deeper, has an issue with the truth. What else? Truth is not. Number two, your experiences and feelings. So our society at the moment is in the middle of an overcorrection. We've come through a a long period in history where many, many people didn't have avenues to tell their stories, to express how they felt or how they experienced life. For a long period in history, the rich and the powerful just ruled, and the people in the margins of society had to go along with it and say nothing. The overcorrection to this is that we elevate every experience or every feeling to the realm of truth. Every experience, every feeling, we make a truth. And when everything is true, nothing is. Truth matters, friends, for your salvation, and it matters for the salvation of the world to whom we are sent. So in this, word, in this room today, there are people that are hot and people that are cold, depending on where you're sitting based on the air conditioning, and depending on what you're wearing and a number of other things. I cannot say that it is true that it is hot in here. I cannot say that it is true that it is cold in here. I might experience the room as hot. I might experience the room as cold. But it's not true that the room is hot or cold. It's true that the room is 23 degrees or whatever it is. That is a truth. My experience of that truth, how I experience it, is not the truth. That was a spit. It's not the truth. We've got to find a way as Christians to validate people's experiences. We're not throwing people's experiences away. We've got to validate the experience and their feelings, but also not elevate it to the realm of truth. I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm so sorry that you're cold. Can I buy you a jersey? Can I lend you a blanket? I'm sorry that you're hot. Can I spit some water on you? All right? I'm not saying invalidate people's experiences. We have to validate them because people matter. But we also cannot... It, it, it cannot be true that it is hot in here and also be true that it is cold in here. Those two things cannot both be true. And so our society wants to teach children that they must express their feelings and experiences, which is good and it's necessary and it's healthy. It's, it's a correction from the past. It's right. But then society also wants to teach our children that their experiences and beliefs are all true. How can it be? My younger children experience me as a dictator. They experience me as a bad dad because I said they can't go to bed whenever they want to and eat sweets. So their experience of me as a bad dad, that's not the truth. Maybe it is, I don't know. 
Friends, it cannot, it cannot be that we are okay for people to live their own truths and to tell them that everything that they believe or feel is the truth when those so-called truths will lead them to death eventually. How can we be okay with that, friends? This is not only for society out there. This is for the church. This is for Christians also. See, your beliefs about God, your beliefs about Scripture, your experience of life, your experience of the church, of pastors, of the community, your beliefs and experience are not the truth. There's some validity to them. I'm not throwing them out, but they are not the truth. As Christians, we believe that what we believe about God, what we have experienced about, truth, about church is the truth. And we lose unity. When we lose unity, we lose truth and holiness, and now we have no mission. We, elevate, we, we, we do the same thing. It's not the world's problem, it's the church's problem. Jesus is not praying for the world, he's praying for the church, that we will be kept in the truth. We cannot elevate our beliefs and our experiences of the truth to the realm of truth. Remember I said at the beginning that what I'm asking you to do is to hold very few truths tightly and to hold a whole lot of other truths and part-truths a lot looser. The man of the day, C.S. Lewis, says this, We must attack wherever we meet it. This nonsensical idea that mutually exclusive propositions about God can both be true. In other words, it cannot be true that Jesus is the only way to the Father and also be true that there are other ways to God and also be true that we don't need to get to God because we already have God and also be true that we don't need to get to God because there is no God. All of those things cannot be true. Only one of them can be true. You pick one and then live by faith according to that. That's, but only one of those things can be true. They, they, they cannot all be true. And what so many people like to do is they take bits of this and bits of that and bits of this and we say, cool, that's the truth. And because it's a bit of everything, it's the truth. How? They cannot exist together. They cannot exist together. They have to exist by themselves. We cannot live in this space of everything is true because when everything is true, nothing is. And so if you believe that all truth is relative, that there's not only one truth, then if, if you are to be a consistent relativist, you have to allow flat earthists to teach your children that the, it's true that the earth is flat. And you have to take them to other people and allow them to teach that your children that it's true that the earth is spherical. And then say to your children, both of these are true. And you can live according to whichever one you want. If you are a consistent relativist, that's what you have to do. So it's it's ridiculous. We, we don't apply this concept to maths, aerodynamics, medicine, science. If we did, we'd be in trouble. I don't want a relativist pilot flying my plane who believes that it's true that planes must fly upright, but also he wants to live his truth that planes can fly on their side. So buckle up while I try something quickly. We've got a problem. We have a problem. Uh, a theologian called Francis Schaeffer says this, false doctrine, at those points where false doctrine is heresy, is not, is not a small thing, but it's an enemy. False doctrine is a false belief about God. Heresy is a point where it is against truth. So a false belief about God at the point where it is against truth is not a small thing. It's an enemy that we must call out and confront. 
Truth matters, friends, for your salvation, and it matters for the salvation of the world to whom we are sent. So what is the truth? I don't want to leave you today more confused than when you arrived. I'm not a politician. I've told you that truth is important, and I've told you why it's important. But what is the Christian concept of truth? The Christian concept of truth is threefold. Firstly, it's personal. Truth is not to be found in a system or a philosophy or an experience or an understanding. It's to be found in a person. Paul the Apostle, before his conversion, had studied. He knew everything there was to know about God at the time. He lived a righteous life according to everything that he had learned and knew. But he only knew truth when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He only knew truth when he met the person of Jesus. Jesus is teaching on truth in John chapter 8, and he says to his disciples, you, when you know the truth, you'll be set free. And so he keeps teaching, and he teaches a few a bit, and a bit then his disciples are with him. And then in John chapter 14, his disciples come back to him, and they say, Jesus, you said, when we know the truth, we'll be set free. So tell us then, what is the truth? It's a question mankind has been asking for thousands of years. What, tell me what it is. What is the set of, of raw, rules and laws that is the truth? Just tell me what that is, so that I may be set free. And Jesus says, I am the truth. It is not only a, a set of laws and morals. That is not the truth, apart from a person who claimed to be the truth. See, Jesus in, in, John chapter, uh, in Matthew chapter 5 is teaching on morals and ethics, and, and it's, it's essentially, uh, he's teaching how we should live life according, according to his standard. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and we cannot take the Sermon on the Mount as truth apart from the person who preached the Sermon on the Mount. I can't just take the moral teachings of Jesus and some, and some of the moral teachings of the Scriptures and then some from another religion and some from there and some from there and put it together and say, this is true because it's got something of everything. It's like saying this is a good medicine because it's got a bit of poison and a bit of acid and a bit of, therefore, because it's got everything, it's good. How? We can't take the moral teachings of Jesus as truth apart from the person of Jesus as the truth. Because Jesus wasn't a moral teacher. The goal of Christianity isn't to make bad people good. If it was, you could download a set of rules to live by and then try really hard to live by them and be good. But Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. See, sin causes death to enter the world that was created perfect. But that also means death for me and you. And the only way that I can be made fully alive, truly alive for eternity, is to repent, to ask for and receive his forgiveness, and only then to follow his teachings and instruction. So I'm not standing here today making a truth claim. I'm pointing to somebody who did make a truth claim. Truth is found in the teachings of Jesus, but it's ultimately founded in the person of Jesus. The Christian concept of truth, secondly, is universal. Christians believe that the universe was created by God, and because he created everything, everything in it is his, and it finds its order and place and harmony in Christ. Therefore, God is not only the God of spiritual and moral law and truth, he's also the God of physical and metaphysical law and truth. So the truths of science and mental health and maths and music and morality are God's truths, because they originate from him. What do we do with those areas where there seems to be conflict? So I said that we can't, I can't make my understanding of truth the truth. And I also can't reasonably believe that whole truth as a concept can be known. 
So when there's a conflict between some of those things, either it's one of our understandings of the concept of the law, of the truth or of the law, or it's something that I'm unable to understand. I want to take a minute to, to talk to those in the room who are Christians, who are followers of Jesus. As long as we think of spiritual truth as separate from all other, all other truth, we're in error. Spiritual truth, moral truth, is not different from scientific truth. If we think of those two things as opposite each other, as against each other, we're in error. All truth, because it originates from God, is God's truth. And all of those things need to find their place and unity and harmony and work together. It's very often our understanding that is the issue. Einstein used to refer to the universe as a well-constructed crossword puzzle. Every piece needs to find its order and its place. And when a piece doesn't fit, sometimes it's the wrong piece, and sometimes it's the right piece in the wrong place. Truth is universal. And lastly, truth is intellectual and historical. As in the Christian concept of truth, when we affirm that truth is intellectual and historical, what we're saying is that the truth must make sense. It adds up. Your mind can accept it. And as far as Christian truth, truth in particular is concerned, it's rooted in history. The historic Christianity is rooted in the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin, he lived a sinless life, he died a blameless death, and he rose again in the third day. Those are, those are uh, historically verifiable facts that can be understood and verified by non-Christian historians too. This is not just the Scriptures. If our truth is not rooted in an intellectual, actual, historical Jesus, then it's a myth. Santa Claus. There's more documented historical evidence of Jesus living on the earth than, he is, than there is of Julius Caesar living on the earth. And if that historical Jesus is true, he made a claim about who he was and how we can get to God. We are then faced with a choice of what we do with that claim. Christianity originates in a revelation given to an actual historical person, not in a dateless myth or a timeless body of philosophy and truth and law, and, and it's, we don't know where it came from. No, no, it was an actual historical person, Jesus. If, if, if our Christianity is not rooted in, it's not intellectual and historical, then it's a myth. Last one for C.S. Lewis today, I promise. He says this, the, the central miracle of Christianity is that God became man. All others fit around that. So I'm standing before you today essentially as a small man. I'm not standing as a giant with deep understanding and broad intelligence. My wife will confirm this to be true. I'm not standing up today with the truth claim. I'm standing up saying that truth matters. And I'm pointing you towards one who, who made a truth claim. Not a claim to only have the truth, but a claim to be the truth. Friends, truth matters for your salvation, and truth matters for the salvation of the world to whom we are sent. Not every truth is true. Because if everything is true, then nothing is true. My beliefs are not truth. My understanding, my feelings, my experiences, all of those things are valid. They have validity. They need to be processed and worked through and given space and, and safe places. All of those things are good, but they are not truth. 
I cannot drag truth down to the lowest common denominator. I have to point the lowest common things upwards to the heart of truth. And as the light of truth shines on those, the lowest common things more fully, so they are shown up for what they are. Part truths at best, and very often error. Truth is not found in teaching or laws or philosophy or a set of morals. Truth is found in a person. Truth is universal and it's intellectual and historical. Can you stand with me, please?